What's up, guys? It's Brian. It's 10 o'clock on Thursday night. Yes, the night before you're listening to this. <laughs> and I just got back from a very, very, very delayed flight from Lake Tahoe, where I spent the entire week with a group of 300 multimillionaire entrepreneurs uh, for our mastermind, Go Abundance. And it was an amazing week. And I promised you guys I would never miss a episode of content for you. No matter what, there's no other option. So today is going to be a replay from before of David Osborne, who is one of the founders of GoBundance and one of the most popular interviews that's been on this podcast. Normally, I would not replay an episode more than twice on this show. And the last time this played was in August, but I feel this would be a really good refresher for all the GoBundance guys that are listening and also for all of you brand new listeners that are unfamiliar with GoBundance and what it's about. Because next week, I'm going to be diving really, really deeply into the lessons that were learned, some of the keynotes. Tom Bilyeu was there. He had a billion-dollar exit from Quest Nutrition. We had a lot of good stuff happen. So this will give you a really good warm-up into the core principles and philosophies of GoBundance to where when we talk about it next week, you'll have an understanding of what I'm talking about. So I am going to let David loose. I'll have a whole separate intro here shortly and sit tight and listen to a guy worth over $200 million now. I met a guy recently from Silicon Valley. I've connected with some billionaires that have moved to Austin and some nine-figure guys. And uh, he said, in, in Silicon Valley, if you're not a billionaire by your time you're 40, you, they figure your life's pretty much over. <laughs> and so this guy's 42. And I'm like, wow, that is such a heavy. So here we are thinking in our little world or these hustle porn guys, if you're not a millionaire at 25, you're, it's too late. But they're both symptoms of the same disease. Sure. And that disease is living your life from the outside in. And if you live your life from the outside in, you will never be satisfied. Welcome to the Action Academy podcast. Stand back while I celebrate freedom. The show where we help you achieve financial independence with the mindsets, methods, and actionable steps from guests who've already earned their freedom. The flags of freedom fly. Choose to do what you want. What you want. With who you want. With who you want. When you want. When you want. With another episode today. Now, here's your host, Brian Lubin. What's up? Hello for the first time or welcome back to another episode of the Action Academy podcast. I'm your host, Brian Lubin, bringing you the mindsets, the methods, and the actionable steps from guests who have earned their freedom so that you can earn it in your life today and this week. I'm not even going to attempt to sound polished or cool on this intro. I'm just going to be real and raw with all of you. The man that I interviewed today is a very big role model of mine, and he is very influential and offers so much value. He's the type of dude that you pay $10,000 to have a phone call with for 30 minutes. That's the type of guy that's on today's show. And I am very honored to be in his world. And before I tell my story um, about my relationship with him, I will read you his official bio. David Osborne has built one of the top real estate brokerages in the world through Keller Williams with more than 4,500 agents and annual sales volume exceeding $10 billion per year. David is one of the largest single owners of Keller Williams franchises in the United States of America and works directly with Gary Keller from basically the origination of the company. David, outside of this, has founded over 50 companies and employs exceptional people that distribute millions of dollars to his partners. 
By this, David personally has about five to 10 people that he pays $1 million a year as a salary for them to manage his life and to manage these separate businesses. So it's absolutely wild. And now this has led to a net worth of $150 million and growing. So David will be a billionaire in his lifetime, which is insane to think about. So at this point, if you don't know me, and even if you do know me, you're probably all wondering, hey, Brian, how the hell did you get A, this guy in your podcast, and B, involved in this guy's life? So I will tell you a brief story. It was 2019, and I was trying to figure out how to become the man that I needed to be and the person I needed to be to accomplish all of my goals. If you listen to my zero to 100,000 net worth story in that episode, I was worthless at this point and I was just trying to learn and figure out what the heck I needed to do. So I was listening to business podcasts and real estate podcasts left and right. And I remember hearing David on one or two episodes of this show, Bigger Pockets, which is a real estate podcast. And he was almost at the 100 million mark at that point. And he was talking about how he regretted doing all of the work and sacrificing other areas of his life to attain his economic wealth. And now him and the other guys that were on the show are talking about this group that they had started called GoBundance, where they focus on wealth in all areas of your life with your health and your fitness, your wellness, your charitable contribution, your businesses, your economic wealth, your wealth in your relationships, your wealth with your time and your family, all of this combined. And I was listening to this guy and it was like a lightning bolt freaking struck me when I was listening to him. And I was like, I have to be in touch with him. I need to get in his world. There's no way that I can't be in this guy's world. And so I was in sales at the time. So I set out on this grand mission to be able to figure out how to reach out to David Osborne. And he's very difficult to get in touch with. Uh, People pay a lot of money to talk to him. And I couldn't figure out how to do it. So what I ended up doing was actually sending a booking request for a speaking engagement to his website where I requested him to speak to a group of 10,000 people (laughs) on his website. And I figured somebody important would read that email on his team. And in the body paragraph of it, I just put, hey, listen, I'm young. I am uh, 24 years old. I have no idea what I'm doing. I just know one thing that I will do whatever I need to do to earn the right to talk to you, to learn from you, to take you to lunch. If you want me to get on a plane from Atlanta and fly to Austin, Texas tonight, I'll do it. Let me know what I need to do. Anything that you hate doing, I'll do it for free. And I got a response to that. And everybody told me how dumb that was to do. But for some reason, hey, guess what? It worked. Just one email changed my entire life. And so from that, They invited me as a guest to the GoBundance Breckenridge Fall Retreat, I think it was a year or two ago, and I was able to go and be in a room full of all these millionaires, and I was just trying to figure out how I could best be of value to them, and they accepted me in their world, and now this has ballooned and gone crazy into this life that I have today with all of these exceptional people that I am privileged to have in it, and so that's why this interview is so special Because now David is coming on a podcast that I created last October. So literally in a year or two, everything has come completely full circle to where I heard a guy on a podcast worth $100 million across the country 
Everyone told me that I would never have a chance of talking to. And within one or two years, I have my own podcast and he's coming on a guest and he's giving me the honor of his time and giving you the honor of his time on this show. So with that, please leave us a rating and a review. We have an hour and a half with a future billionaire on the show right now. Without any further ado, I'm going to let him loose. David Osborne. All right. The man, the myth, the Osborne. How are you, my friend? Hey, Brian. It's good to be with you, my friend. I'm doing great. I am in Austin, Texas. It's cold. It hasn't been cold much this year and just took my daughter to school and it's a a fresh 40 degrees, which is nice for a change. Yep. And that's something you do every day, right? You're the one that's responsible for taking them. Mm. We split the duties. So my son goes to one school and my daughter goes to another and my wife takes one kid. I take the other and we mix it up. The son is a little bit of a further drive. She does three out of two for that. And I do two out of three and flip it for the other, but we're pretty flexible. It's really just dependent on my schedule, which varies today was busy. So today I took Bella. Yeah, it's super fun. It's a priority for me. My kids are more and more a priority. The older I get and the more I realize how quick the time goes, haven't already raised one who's now married and fully out of the house. Uh, although I wasn't there for a lot of her early years and I, all I did back then was work. And now, now I really appreciate that time more. I'm wiser, I'm older, and I'm trying to enjoy as much of it as I possibly can because I know how fast it goes. Yeah. And that's a perspective of yours that I really appreciate. So I want to get into all of that before we do this. I've got to share a story because for me, whenever somebody speaks about somebody that's their role model, it's most of the time someone that's super up in the sky, like some celebrities, some athletes, some crazy person. And then for me, somebody asked me that and I say David Osborne. But the thing that inspired me about your story is you're worth a lot of money, worth nine figures. That's cool. But a lot of the times when people are worth that, they were like some kind of wonder kid, right? They were like an 18-year-old prodigy genius. You're thinking of maybe like a Tiger Woods who started when he was super young and had some crazy trajectory. But from me listening to your story on a podcast, you were like, yeah, you know, I didn't really know what I was doing at age 26. I was just like, you know what? I'm going to go do a world tour. So I'm going to go travel around the world. And then you did that for a year. You came back, you're broke, and then you made all this happen. And I was 25 when I listened to that. And for me, that fundamentally changed. I was like, David did that. I can do that. Because travel was such a big thing for me. And I'm literally going to do that this year. July 1st, I'm going to, me and my girlfriend are going to fly out to Greece one way. And we're going to start our European tour in Greece. That is music to my ears because that's why we do it. We First off, we almost made GoBunnets a nonprofit because we weren't in it for the money. We were in it for changing and touching people's lives. And if I had one thing, I guess, on my tombstone, it would be the everyday dude that got lucky and got successful. So I appreciate what you said, because I I think being relatable matters to me. And I didn't come from an, I'm smarter than average, although they say 60% of people think they're smarter than average. So I don't know where that comes in, but I'm not a genius. and I've got some good work ethic, but I'm not the Michael Jordan of work. And I just, I'm just an everyday, smart, scrappy, aggressive guy. I relate to the scrappy people the best, which it sounds like you are that just want to look at life a little differently and find 
their own sort of path, go their own way, not just be safe and work for the man and get their pension and all that stuff. Or nowadays, I guess you got to say work for the person. But uh, yeah, it's exciting to hear you say that. And I think travel is almost the best bit. Like I'd be almost, it all leads to one another. So the fact that you're willing to cut loose and go free and hitchhike around Europe will lead to more, I believe, financial freedom and success in the future. And when I hitchhiked around the world, I just, I cut ties with my corporate job because of a bad experience I had there. And I just went and hitchhiked around the world. That was the beginning of this opening my eyes to what's possible. And I think many people just don't open their eyes. It's not a, it's not a question of brains. It's not a question of work ethic. It's not a question of luck. It's a question of people not opening their eyes to what's possible. And then when you see it, you're like, oh my gosh, this isn't, it's not even that hard to live a different life where you can be financially free. It's not easy. It takes time, but it's not hard. It's just got to have your eyes open. Yeah. And be intentional. And it's nowadays there's so much focus on hustle porn and hustle culture that they're almost like, if you're not a millionaire by 25, screw you, you're too late. You're too old. You can't do it. And that's the prerogative that's being pushed and the narrative that's being pushed by media now. And even the Vaynerchuks of the world, they're starting to retreat from that. Even though Gary is one of the ones that was pushing it in the beginning, they're all starting to retreat from that. So that's why it was cool to be able to be, all right, he, he did this and I can do this too. And I want to talk about GoBundance, how y'all started that and where you're taking it in the future, because now I'm involved in that. So I'm very excited to hear your perspective on that. But my first question out the gate is, what is one goal for 2022 that is so wildly ambitious that it just scares the absolute hell out of you? Yeah, that's a pretty deep question, but I want to pause. I don't want to forget that question, but I want to go back to something you said. The hustle porn people of today are saying how if you're not a millionaire at 25, you're it's too late. And I met a guy recently from Silicon Valley. I've connected with some billionaires that have moved to Austin and some nine-figure guys. And one of these guys was not the famous, the, the household name. He didn't make it, but he, he went to Harvard and Stanford. So imagine that, the pedigree. That's the word they use too, by the way. I had to learn that word. Pedigree, what's that? I don't got any pedigree, but uh, they talk about pedigree, which is the colleges you went to and the places you went. And uh, he said in, in Silicon Valley, if you're not a billionaire by your time you're 40, you, they figure your life's pretty much over. <laughs> and so this guy's 42. And I'm like, wow, that is such a heavy. So here we are thinking in our little world or these hustle porn guys, if you're not a millionaire at 25, it's too late. But they're both symptoms of the same disease. And that disease is living your life from the outside in. And if you live your life from the outside in, you will never be satisfied. You will never be happy. You will never be free. You will never have joy because the outside competitive world never ends. And I'm not saying there isn't something to winning and fighting and doing good and relative success. And I think the social media has really exacerbated this historic human condition. What other people do should not matter to you. And that guy that made hustle from 19 to 25 made a million bucks, but never hitchhiked around Europe broke. Like hitchhiking, when I went around the world broke, it was a way better experience more intimate experience with every country I was in than I go. Now I'm like four-star hotel, five-star. I'm in the Ritz-Carlton. I'm getting driven by a chauffeur who meets me at the airport with a little sign that says Osborne. And I'm sure I like it, but it's nothing like getting there, figuring out what bus route to take, hopping on the train, being second class, getting a Eurorail pass, way better, not even close. 
So all those people that are out there saying you got to be a millionaire or whatever, blah, blah, blah. It's true. You have to hustle. So I like that part of that message. If you want to learn, most people don't know how to hustle or choose not to or whatever. It's really not that hard. Hustle is just hustle. But this idea of living on any comparative basis to any other human being is a never, it's like the emptiness inside will never be filled. So that's that. I just want to comment on that because it's the same as this billionaire. Take to your little guys that are worth 5 million at 40 or 15 million at 40 because they follow that advice and go talk to the Silicon Valley guys. And they're like, oh, if you're not a billionaire at 40, you're washed up. It's stupid. It's just dumb. Yeah, not spiritual. It's very materialistic. And we all die and we all wash away and we all erode. Okay, so then to your next question, what is a goal? <laughs> uh, we all die, we all wash away, we all wrote on to the next question. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Today a peacock, tomorrow a feather duster is one of my favorite quotes. Whenever I uh, feel awesome. prideful or arrogant, like just today you're a peacock, the world looks at you to think you're pretty, and tomorrow you'll be a feather duster and some old guys, someday you'll be a, a du- you'll be a dust in a coffin. So don't get lost in the comparativeness. Just think about this little guy in Rome, like back in the days. Like, oh, I'm going to make a million sesteri. I think that's what they called their money before my buddy makes sesteri. Who cares now? They're all dead. Mm-hmm. You know, what matters is like what depth and enrichment did they have in their lifetime? And then maybe what you leave behind through your influence on others. Maybe can you pass a positive pool forward? But that's important to me. And I, it's something I remind myself all the time. I used to have a, a sign, a whiteboard. I wrote on it, think eternal. Like first I wrote, think in a hundred years, think 300 years. Then I, what I did, I recently think eternal, think what's the, what's happening in infinity from now. And it'll put everything in perspective really quickly. So then the second question you had, sorry, that was pretty deep is what am I terrified of in 20, <clears throat> 2022? And uh, I do have my goals that I've been, I'm a little behind where I'm normally at, but the one that I'm going to do this year is, is which terrifies me is I'm going to try to get I'm going to do some internal work to try to get to some of the source of my drive and my success. Hmm. And, and it terrifies me. And it's not what you would expect as an answer. And of course, keep in mind, I'm in my 50s and you're in your 20s and it shouldn't be an answer your listeners are listening to. But I'm going to do a little bit of uh, therapy going internal, maybe go do the ayahuasca or do some things like that and try to really get in touch with that piece of me that that chased this external success, which succeeded and won. And But it's there's a lot of vulnerability in that journey. And I don't think you should open up that package too early. But in my lifetime, I don't want to end my life without having look, looked into that package. So I've already set up several things this year that'll take me internal One of them is I'm exploring different kinds of therapy that they're allowing you to do now, which are like uh, MDMA therapy or ketamine assisted therapy. And then the ayahuasca would probably be a different country. Yeah. So sort of look inside. I've hit all my economic goals. And the the thing like we talked about earlier, like riding a bull, like crazy stuff, climbing Kilimanjaro, hiking. I've done a lot of that too. And you should do that. And now I think every journey has, you know, a stage. And I think in your 20s, the journey is about like a camel, just throw everything on your back and climb, baby, push, push. And then your thirties, I think your thirties and into your forties, you're more like a lion. You should be out there tearing it up and just figuring you found where you can win. You just go tear into that space. And then in your forties, uh, you should be reaping a little bit like what you have sown. So you should be just reaping the benefits of what you built. And if you've done all that, then in your fifties, you get to choose what you want to do. And I I think in some places that's where you can do 
some re rebirthing work and re looking at your priorities. And certainly that's my experience. Like I'm, I've done really well and I'm really happy with my life and everything I've done in it. And I, I, I want more out of it. And I think the way to get more out of it now is not to go external, but to go internal. internal. So I understand where you're coming from with the being scared part of that and having it be scary because it's almost, you don't know if the necessary internal drivers are a positive thing or a negative thing. For me, I've gone a little internal. I think that it stemmed from trying to get my father's attention, but then that was a result of a bad circumstance, but it also yielded something positive. So I understand where you're coming from when you say, hey, don't open Pandora's box a little too early because I'm afraid of doing that too, because it's almost like, what if I lose my edge? Is that kind of the same thing that you're thinking or? A hundred percent. What I used to take pride in saying, I love the chip on my shoulder. It gives the monkey on my back something to play with. So that's a quote <laughs> I heard somewhere, but like I enjoyed my wounds. Yeah. I had a similar thing. I had parents that were hard to satisfy a very aggressive dad. There's a book. I heard something. I haven't found it or read it, the gift of the father. And it's about how a lot of entrepreneurs had interesting relationships and dynamics with their fathers. But for sure, like I took pride in that and fostering that sort of, I don't know, like edge, that sort of underdog status, feeling like I was, it was me against the world was a real energetic charger for me. And, and it got me wealthy. And there's another cartoon I saw as a kid that I kept it forever. In fact, I put it in Wealth Can't Wait. I put that cartoon because I remembered it from, from when I was a kid. And I'll see if I can find it in here, but it was two rich guys walking along. And the one guy says to the other rich guy, I'm sure glad I'm sure glad I, I, I got rich before I realized money doesn't buy happiness. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> while money doesn't buy happiness, it really does make everything else easier, even to the point of choosing to go inside and go after some of the stuff I'm going for now. And that all comes from, I can do it because I don't have to worry about wealth or money. Now there's, you could make an argument that not having the money and hitchhiking around the world, you might get that wisdom sooner and that depth quicker. And maybe that's all possible. But from my point of view, using my slightly messed up parts, my kind of my uh, chip on my shoulder to get where I wanted to go was really good rocket fuel for me over and over again. Why not me? Why can't I have this? What would it take? Just screw them for not believing in me. Just thinking people were dissing me that probably weren't just so mm -hmm. I could be like, oh, F that guy. I'm going to go show him. You know what I mean? So I, I like that. I like that little underdog status. It was very effective for me and very useful. Are you familiar with uh, Naval Ravikant? Love the Almanac of Ravikant. I listened yeah. to it a couple of times. That's a great little compendary of summary of wisdom. Yeah. Why? What do you remember specifically from that? He, he mentioned, I believe it was on a Rogan podcast or Tim Ferriss. He said, my goal is to get everyone fit, healthy, and wealthy for them to realize that none of that is the answer to happiness. But if we can get everyone fit and we can give everyone their health and we can give everyone wealth, then they can actually be able to be free enough and unburdened enough from the stresses of normal everyday life to be able to pursue actual intrinsic internal happiness. Beautiful. So it hits exactly what you just said. One of the things I'm trying to borrow from him actually is from the book. I haven't gotten there yet, but he said, I make my health my number one priority. Mm -hmm. And what he said is, and the way I read that, and I'm at, 
is that he won't do anything. He wouldn't do this podcast with you until he'd worked out. That makes mm. sense. Now maybe he'd drive his kids to school. I don't know on that. Maybe he has a chauffeur, but he, the, the way I read it is, like, yeah, I do my health workout first. Now I'm good at working out. I'm good at it. I worked out 220 times last year. So my goal was 240. That's five a week. But him wanting him saying it with that level of commitment, I thought, wow, that would be like almost a 360 right there. You're like, what if you just said, hey, before I do anything today, my rule is I must either meditate, yoga, something to deal with your health. Because I do believe the health aspect is something underplayed. When I talked to Richard Branson, I said, what's the one number one thing you tell people to do? to be successful. And his answer was exercise. The more you cloud up your body and clog up your body. And it's hard, man. Get the, I wasn't a natural athlete or an exerciser. I had to learn it. The It's hard enough winning with kind of some clarity inside your body. And when it starts getting foggy or burdened, it makes it that much harder. So for people listening, David, David's in great shape. He's in great shape. I'm not saying that to flatter him, but because of his intention behind it. And I'll still one more, one more quote from Naval before we go on. Then I love listening to Naval because it makes me seem intelligent as I repeat his uh, <laughs> in life. But uh, he said a he said a healthy man wants a thousand things and a sick man wants one, and that's to be healthy. Yeah, wellness is the crown mm-hmm. the healthy man wears that only the sick man sees. And we all know what this mm. is like. When you get sick, you're when well, you get sick, you're like, you're... yeah, it's a good one. That's it's not mine. And and when you're sick, you're like. Oh my God, what would I do to be healthy? Like when you're healthy, you're like, oh, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. Life's amazing. I'm going to go do this. And there's such a shift there. Like, it's crazy. I think this is a perfect segue into the formation of GoBundance. I speak on GoBundance a lot on this podcast and a lot, the vast majority of the people that come on here are GoBundance and you're the one of the founders of GoBundance. So can you talk a little bit as we're talking about the... Tribe for healthy, wealthy, generous men who choose to lead epic lives. So if you can you speak a little bit about the formation of that and how that came to be and where you see the vision of this moving forward? Because I'm now directly involved with your organization and growth. So I want to hear about how you began that and then where you see this moving in the future. GoBundance is such a blessing and such a gift uh, to me and to many people. When I was setting my goals as a young man, I used to just set number of calls, amount of money I'd make, blah, 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 all these things, workouts, things like that. And then and after about 10 years, I, I found my first set of goals from the other day. The first really focused ones I did was like 1996. It was pretty cool. But today, um, but, but about 10 years into that journey, I realized, oh, I've got to add environment tribe to my goals? Who am I going to hang out with? What environment am I going to put myself in? And really, I was luckily in a pretty driven environment. I was in real estate in there. I joined some masterminds with a bunch of top producing real estate agents. So I was, that was just kind of luck. I just wanted to know what they know, knew. So I would go pay for these masterminds. But, and then I would pick up their mannerisms, their energy. Like I'm very, very young. I'm 27, by the way. So not compared to those guys, the hustle porn guys, but I'm very, yeah, I'm, I'm 27, 28, 29. And I'm around these people and I'm picking up their intensity and their focus and their intentionality. And as I look back on it later, I'm really thinking your environment tribe is more important than anything. I think it's probably the number one thing of who you hang out with because 
even when I met, you know, so originally I was in a mastermind and the guy said, Hey, pick someone out of the room. It was like 97. And I saw this guy across the room. He looked to be about my age. So I gave him the man nod. He gave me the man nod. It's like, love at first sight. We're the only young ones in the group. Young, we were like 20, you know, 30, probably right around our thirties. That was Pat. That was Pat and we, and he said, you're going to be that guy's accountability coach. He's going to be your accountability coach and your fee to each other is the other time. And I was a very successful real estate agent at that time. I wasn't, I was up and coming. I just started opening franchises for Keller Williams and they weren't profitable and I wasn't wealthy. I was engaged and deep in the game. And that relationship has become outside of my wife, Pat's intimate relationship in my growth as a human was phenomenal. Like just him holding me accountable, me holding him accountable and the fact that I had another set of eyes on my life and I gave him a set of eyes on his life. And then in 04, we added Tim and we had this transparency, authenticity, accountability vibe around our relationship. Mm-hmm. And the thing that bothers me a little with the hostile porn guys, you never really know the way these talk, if they are actually successful. And if they are successful, you don't actually know how they are with their spouses in their lives or their children in their lives. You don't get the whole picture because there's no point being a billionaire and then having effed up kids or a shitty relationship with your wife. I'm trying really hard to swear less, by the way. So you're going to hear me manage my, my, I normally cuss a storm, but I'm going to try to manage that better. Right. So I want it all. I don't want just the extra external goals. I want the internal goals. I want the health. I want the, the relationships. I want the contribution. I want to make a difference. There's a lot. I want the experiences, not just the money is just one of the many metrics. And so you'll find that you get that through you get that through being around and exposed to the right people. And so we created that. It was me and Pat and Tim for years. We we would share tax returns. We would we stopped going to as many like masterminds and started just having our own mastermind. And then we started doing adventure trips around our masterminds. And then we reached a point where we were just tired of each other's stories and we were like, hey, let's just open this up to other people. And we invited 11 people to my house in Steamboat, I think in 2011 or so. It might have been 2012. And we and one of the guys was from Tony Robbins. And he was like, Rock Thomas. He's like, oh, you guys have something here. This should be bigger. You, got, you have a lot to offer because of the level of systems we put in place around accountability. The one sheet, the, the life happiness index, the, the, the check-ins, the weekly yeah. check-ins, the pod. We had talked, my wife would call us before GoBundance existed, like a bunch of little schoolgirls. You guys would get on the phone and talk for two and a half hours. And I didn't have that before. Like when I was building my businesses, I didn't have two and a half hours for anybody. But once I had this extreme authenticity with people and we were talking about real stuff, it wasn't superficial. It wasn't getting on the phone and talking about your football team or what you ate for breakfast or the great restaurant you went to or the bar or the party. It was about what's working in your life, what's working in your relationship, what's not working, where could you use help? And that, became like addictive to all three of us and all three of us our lives just grew and grew with this little like that like we're watering one another we were creating fertile ground for one another we all became financially free together they both retired i kept working i saw them both step back and enjoy lives and when we first met me and pat all we competed on was the number of hours worked how many hours in a day could we work that was our start (laughs) who's the best hustle porn that's where we started and then we learned Actually, the hours you work doesn't matter. It's the quality of your hours. We learned this concept, dollar productive hours. So how many 
really intensely productive hours could you work and then delegate the rest or not do the rest. So then we found that actually in five really good hours, you get more done than in 16 hours of just blindly hustling. But sometimes you have to do the 16 hours a day for 10 years to figure that out. What is the most important stuff? And then we started competing on the number of days we could take off. We switched completely. And then how can we make the most amount of checks every month in our mailbox? Like how many, how could we have the most income from assets we owned? Because there's not a single person on the billionaire list and Forbes billionaire list that doesn't have a billion dollars worth of assets. And everyone thinks the income game is the game to play, but it's actually the net worth game that matters way more than the income game. And so all of these were evolutions we went through. And then we started having the bucket list adventures and the age-defying health. And we were all married and we wanted to be good dads and good husbands. So that's how that became the pillars of GoBundance. And then we opened it up and it went 11, 22. We seriously were like, maybe we'll make this a nonprofit. But when we looked into all that, it was like too complicated. And then it went 40, 80, uh, 160. Like it's almost doubled every year. And people have just had their lives changed. And it's been amazing. And I've met some of my best friends in the world. I've done business with a dozen GoPros, made millions of dollars from my deals I've done with guys in GoBundance. Way more than I made in the business. Isn't that crazy? I was Cushman yesterday. Yeah, Cushman's a great one. Cushman and I, I did a deal with Cushman. Cushman, I put 800 in an apartment complex that's probably worth two point. That's probably worth two at least. That 800's gone up to two in 15 months. Mm-hmm. The home run. Cushman's, you know, been really great for us. And then others like Aaron and Buchistake and I own four businesses together. Camille and I are doing business together. I've had a couple losses too, but you just got to really pay attention to who you're in business with and figure out what's what's what exactly and then so you bring chris in and i've actually got so it's funny that you say all these names i've got aaron next tuesday i've got chris on saturday <laughs> so oh, that's cool yeah so you, you, bring, you bring chris and now he came from tiger 21 i know that's another one that you were associated with and so what is your vision because i actually haven't heard it from you i heard i've heard chris's side intimately I'd be curious to hear your side about where you see this going because now we just crossed 600 members and we are growing and we're growing. So it's very interesting to grow and then also keep that same level of quality as you grow. So I'm just curious to hear about your vision of it because you guys are the masterminds behind all of it. I just help on the ground. And I'm in Tiger and I love Tiger. It's one of the three masterminds I'm in that are high-level masterminds ones go abundance is a bargain uh tigers 30k a year and then the other one i'm in is 60k a year and there's a saying i have with complete love of tiger you should never underestimate the foolish errors of your competitors and and what i mean by that is for some reason our, our tiger did not get along with chris and i don't know why and they had a healthy positive relationship but they couldn't work out a long-term future together and tiger is amazing and chris is amazing but they couldn't find a future together but that error that in my opinion error maybe not in their opinion was and it's ha- it happened to me before in real estate companies so Ty, so chris was on the street he was available they couldn't come eye to eye and so we hired Chris. I already knew him. He'd been my tiger chair for five years, six years. And I just knew his drive, his commitment to excellence, his commitment to hustle, how hard he worked and his vision. And he'd gotten things for me, like visiting Necker Island and meeting Richard Branson and doing the, just so many leadership based opportunities. I passed on an opportunity to go flying on and land on an aircraft carrier and spend the night there and all that kind of stuff. So it was just phenomenal. And, uh, 
yeah. So I was like, great, let's get into business. So we hired Chris and Pat, Tim, Mike, and have been working with Chris and Melanie to build it. And Chris just has a powerful vision. And the thing about any company is it's either growing or shrinking. You can't, there's no stasis. You know, you, you can have stasis in your family. Hey, we're not having any more kids, but in a business, there's only two ways you can go. And then the key is as you grow, you change and you add values in some areas, some things fall away. And I've done this with Keller Williams. When I joined Keller Williams, there was 800 people. Now there's 180,000 and we're the number one real estate company in the US. So I, I know the journey and I know what it's like. And it's going to be the better and better, more and more people you have in a organization, the better and better opportunities you have. How can we maintain the quality? Well, simple. We're just going to raise the standards. Sure. So right now it's a million net worth to be in and 5 million in champions. And I could see those doubling in the next few years. I'm hiring great guys that are growth directors that can make sure we've got the right people coming in is also part of that journey. And then really making the local chapters vibrant and active, and then making sure we have really quality nationally based events. I'm really excited about the number of lives we're impacting. And I think it would be selfish to not impact as many people as possible. I agree because I was thinking even in the, like I'm in Atlanta. So I was thinking like, we've got a decent sized Atlanta chapter, but I'm thinking about how many hundreds of people that are in Atlanta that would both qualify and be perfect fits for this, but we just haven't reached them. So that's why I'm so excited about being on board. Cause I'm like, I see the vision from that perspective. And all of this goes back to a story that you've told. I think that you told it on Matty A's podcast, but you were talking about how I believe he asked the question, when did you finally feel rich? And you said that you made a million dollars. You didn't feel anything. You made a million dollars a year. You didn't feel anything. You finally felt a little bit of a flicker when you bought your first jet in 2013. And then you said, as soon as you started spending money and actually embracing the lifestyle and like living up, paying for these masterminds, doing all this stuff, then that's when abundance started flowing to you. Can you speak a little bit about that and your experience with that? Yeah. And I want to add one other thing. On the last question, I'm in Tiger. I was in Tiger since it was 400 members. Now it's 900 members. And it's just kept getting better because of the quality of guys. Awesome. Uh, and the relationships I've built have been phenomenal. I really think at the end of the day, every organization is only as good as the relationships you build from within it. And a bunch of my, almost all my buddies in life now are either from GoBundance or Tiger. Same. So, and then, and when you see people that are, that's what matters. When you see people that are making it easy and doing it and making it happen and they're authentic and transparent, your life will be transformed. Now, when they're pretending and faking, and that's what you see on a lot of the hustle porn guys is like, pretend here's my Ferrari. Here's this, here's that I'm doing this, but it's all, you don't know if it's real or not. You don't have the finest idea. They could be on the edge of bankruptcy. They could be ripping people off. They could be, there's so many different ways that could be going on and it's all image conscious, but in our group and the same in tiger, there's, Hey, it's authentic. Here's us presenting our one sheet. Here's what's going on. And you can really grow from that because it, it gives you the opportunity to prune the parts that don't work and, and nurture the parts that do. So in answer to your question, sorry, I, I'm, I'm babbling a little bit. Yeah. I never felt wealthy. I grew up, my mom grew, grew up during world war two. So she was super tight, super conservative very money conscious. We wore secondhand clothes as a kid. Uh, most of my toys as a kid were passed down from my brother. We were definitely the middle of the middle class because we lived on a soldier's income and the military takes care of soldiers. So 
wasn't great, wasn't bad. We didn't have a lot of money, but we always had a when my dad had the military attache post, which was his last post when he was a full bird colonel in London, we had a government provided house that was worth probably today, it probably worth $30 million. It was like right downtown London, but it wasn't. And that was pretty cool. That was right at the end. But that that stuck with me. So I never bought a new car. I never sold a house I lived in. I was really frugal in the, how I ran my businesses and everything. The only thing I would always spend on was education and talent. And by the way, I was a terrible college student, but once I got into business and realized how much there was I could learn, mm-hmm. I was always investing in my education. And that mastermind with Fred Gross, where I met Pat Hyben, was worth 10 times what I paid for it. And I think it was back then, it was like 4000 a year. But in, in hindsight, and, and that's so true, of, even of Tiger, I've been in Tiger since 13 and I almost dropped out. But this year I made a relationship that I just freaking love the guy. So it's 30 grand a year for a relationship that I think is going to be instrumental to my evolution in my world. And a guy that's really successful, incredibly intelligent. And um, one relationship. That's just one relationship. We've already partnered up on something that's probably going to save me 150 grand a year. And I just am so excited about the future with this relationship. If I nurture it and develop it, well, he's completely different from me. He did all the things very bright, never, never failed, didn't fight. Didn't, he wouldn't be a good GoPro because he's not scrappy. He's more just brilliant. You know, he's one of those guys just born <laughs> we talked about. No adversity. <laughs> yeah. He had some, he's had some health adversity and some other adversity, but he, he just was born smarter than everybody. It's very clear. And it was an athlete and everything else, but it, I just really am proud of that relationship. So I'm, I'm hoping that'll last for a long time. Yeah. For me, like all that scrappiness and that saving money and that being cautious. And then we had the downturn of 06, 78, 78, I guess nine. And uh, my income was cratering and my expenses were all staying the same. And I was, I had some money then. So I was starting to feel rich in 06 when it was just booming and it was climbing and I was making more and more money. I was going up 30% a year and I ran that out 10 years. I'm like, oh my God, a 30% appreciation a year on all these businesses I own, I'll be making 25 million bucks a year. So that was 06. And then the crash happened. I was like, "Uh oh, and then my income cratered and my profits went down like 60, 70%. My overhead stayed the same went down a little. So I definitely didn't feel rich in 09, 10, and 11. But then I started investing some in nine, invested a little more in 10, invested a lot in 11. I went all in in 2011, 2012. And and then the market popped up, like we all know, like it did this V-shaped recovery. Mm -hmm. I was expecting a long, slow recovery, but it went V. And when it went up, because I deposited like 13, 14, I guess it started going crazy. But I bought a bunch of stuff in 9, 10, 11, 12. And then when it came back, all my old stuff came back. So all these businesses that had 60% loss in revenue or profits that were way down, they came back. And then all this new investments that I'd made come back too. And I made a lot of those investments, frankly, because of GoBundance and because of, because of my GoBros, because of Pat and Tim. Because we were all having these conversations constantly. Like, what do you think's going on? What's happening with the economy? When's it good? We were all like around nine. We should go buy something, tiptoe into the market. Even though back then, if you remember 09, unless you're brand new, which you are, it was still scary. We still weren't certain if all the banks were going to fail or what was going to happen. And then 2010, it got a little better. And then 2011, and then we were all like, oh, we should be buying stuff right now in 2011, 2012. We, we were, it, to me, that was the biggest buying opportunity in the, in the, in, ever in my life. The other thing I knew in 2012 is I didn't know any rich people, 2011. So I was trying to raise some money because I had so many deals that I couldn't buy them all. I remember spending hours pouring over three deals with my CFO and 
He's like, David, which one do you think we should buy? And I'm like, really, we should buy all of them, but we don't have enough money. So we're going to have to pick one. And I said, it doesn't really matter which one we're going to buy because they're all real estate is overly suppressed. And uh, so then I made it a mission to meet more wealthy people. I joined Tiger in 2013. And I think it was around then that I bought a King Air 300. And I remember my goal was to not buy a King Air 300 until I was making 10 million a year. But one of my coaches at the time, you know, actually Ricky Williams, the football player, who's a very interesting dude. He was like, David, do you think I'll make more money or less money with the plane? And I was like, I guess probably more. I don't know. So I bought it. And sure enough, my income went up every year after I bought it. And I don't know, of course, that could be true and unrelated, which is another one of my like confirmation bias awarenesses is you can have two things that happen, but they may not be related um, because the economy was recovering. But I tell you, it changed my life. Like the ability to go have meetings in Memphis where the last flight home was like 5 p.m. and be able to have dinner and still get home and see my kids the next morning. That's what I bought it for. That was the biggest blessing to be able to go have a day meeting instead of a two day meeting or a three day meeting and just get home. And then, yeah, so I started using that a lot and that was really, and then I think around 2014, I think once I got comfortable spending what I would call stupid money, because flying private in a plane is stupid. Mm-hmm. When you, when I could fly to Memphis for $700 on a commercial round trip ticket, or I could go on my plane and it would cost me $6,000 there's no justifying that you can't justify that mentally. It doesn't make any economic sense. Um, That's when I started loosening up a little bit with what I was spending. And that's when actually I got wealthier and more abundance started flowing to me. And so I shifted everything and, and changed the way I looked at it all. And I quit staying in the holiday inns and driving the cheapest rental car that smelled of cigarette smoke I could find. And I just told my team, Hey, Get me something that creates an environment that I want to be in that motivates me to keep doing what I'm doing. And so I stepped up the environment. Now, a lot of people, by the way, step up the environment from day one. Too soon. Not, I think so too soon. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it works for them. But for me, like I needed that capital. And by saving all that money early, I was able to acquire that capital. And I know guys back then, by the way, that lived, made less than me and lived four times better than me. And I'm way ahead of most pretty much all of those guys that live bigger, but there's some point where if you're living small and you're wealthy, you're kind of stupid then too. Right. Cause you're, I mean, you, to me, maybe not unless you're like saving it up and giving it all to help the world, which is also a beautiful thing that I, but ultimately living like you're poor so you can get rich makes sense. Living like you're poor when you're rich didn't make sense to me. So I loosened up on all of that. Perfect. Now I want to be conscious of your time here. Are you good for another 2030? Sure. Okay, perfect. So two two other main points I want to take you on. One of them is I'm curious to know about the wealth jumps and which ones that you found the most challenging. Like maybe the first million to 10 to seven to eight figure, the eight to nine figure. Now, as I'm hearing, it's as you've got this built it becomes a little bit easier, but I know that you're pursuing the billion. I'm just curious about what part of the journey that you found the most friction on. And if there was some tangible advice that you can give, because I remember speaking with Daniel Ramsey. So he's another go bro. And he was saying, he was like, a lot of people, once you get to a certain point, it's just an issue of scale and hiring the right people. So that was some of the tangible advice that he was able to give. So I was just curious from your experience about where the most friction was associated and then what were the levers that you pulled to be able to alleviate that? 
Yeah, I think definitely the first million is by far the hardest. Like making it early is usually because you don't think the right way you need to think in order to be successful. Hmm. So you literally have to break down and rebuild. And so for me, the first million was the hardest. I didn't think right. I didn't know how to be in life. And Gary Keller was a huge influence in me back then on train because he was a trainer and a coach and teacher. And I just needed to learn how to think. I think Gary said something many times over. He said, leaders teach other people how to think. Now, life will also teach you that if you let it. So at the beginning, I just hustled as hard as I could. I picked up information. I was lucky enough to realize that I wanted to own assets early. So I bought my first rental property in 1997 when I had 20 grand in my name. Maybe No, 95. Sorry, 95. I bought my first franchise in 1997. I always knew I wanted to work on owning businesses young. You got to either own assets or businesses. Mm-hmm. And then when I launched all those businesses, 97-ish, and took over some, it was hard, man. That was super hard. Like I'm buying a franchise. I have to make them make money through other people. I don't realize that at the time. So I'm doing it myself. I'm just working as hard as I possibly could. And I'm at about 31. I just had almost like a... Uh, almost like an identity crisis. I got shingles from stress. I was trying to meditate. I was working. That's when I first met Pat. I was working as many hours a day as I could, 16, you know, 14 hours a day. Some people can do 20 hours a day. I didn't have that kind of engine. I had a good engine, above average engine. I was able to work 60 to 80 hours a week. That's a lot. I know there are people that work 100 hours and think that's jump change, and I get it. It Maybe to those people it is, but if you're working 70 hours, that's 10 hours a day, seven days a week. So I was working as hard as I could, but I was trying to do everything myself and I wasn't learning to work through people. And so, so then I had that kind of breakdown and then I had a breakthrough like you often do. And I got a lot of good advice. And one of my best pieces of advice was from a guy and I thought it was from him, but originally I found out it was from Ford, Henry Ford way back in the day. But he said, just write down the seven most important things you got to do every day and do the top three. I think before that I didn't really prioritize real well. So I'd have a list of a hundred things. I'd start at one and work my way to a hundred. Once I learned that, I was like, oh, okay, what's the five most important things I got to do? Let's try to get two of those done. Like start with the hardest, most important thing, whether it's hard or easy, whatever it is, that's where you start. That's not doing the laundry. And so a lot of things then fell by the wayside. So that was number one. It's just do the most important thing. The thing that scares you the most, whether it's calling that client that's annoying or taking an hour to prospect, whatever gets you the biggest result is exactly where you have to put your energy. Eat and if you just eat the frog, yeah, of course we have, there's a million words for it and a million little parables, but the truth is <laughs> the experience of it is fucking hard, man. It's hard to yeah. make yourself every day do that hard thing. And still today, I occasionally, I'm, I'm automatic now, I'm a productivity monster, but there are still times where I'm like, oh, I gotta call that guy and I really don't want to call him because it's going to be a conflict. I'll put it off till tomorrow. And it still happens. <laughs> now I'm yeah. 90%. I'm a thousand percent better than I was 90% of the time. I do the thing that needs to be done, but there's still days where I'm like, Oh God, that one thing, I don't want to do that. So that's to let everyone listening know that if if you're wavering or having doubts back in the day, I probably only did it 10% of the time. Like when I started, I'd be like, I got to call that client that's angry at me. I'm too chicken shit. I'll wait till tomorrow. But what happens, sometimes if you never call them back, they figure it out by themselves. 
but no, but I built that muscle up. I built that productivity muscle up. I built the doing the right thing habit first that needed to be done. And that's what changed my life. So I think the mindset shift came first and the money followed. And that's why it's so hard. Because when you're young, one of the things you built yourself on is bravado and pride and capability and self-confidence, even though it's kind of a fake self-confidence. But you have to be willing to break that down and let in the room for the new wisdom and new knowledge to really push forward. And then the second piece was, I, my favorite quote is uh, one of my favorites is I do it. We do it. They do it. That's like the evolution of business. If you want to get really big, it's always, they do it. There's a huge army of people fulfilling their dreams through the economic organization you've created. And so I do it as working as hard as you could, just like I was in 97, 98, 99 and did for 10 years. We do it. Often people mistake that. So we do it for them might be actually, it's an, I do it where I've got three extra people following me, making me able to do more. That's a small W, we do it. A big W, we do it is when you start having a team of people that are really capable and driven and capable on their own. An example of a we would be you and Chris working together. That's a we with a capital W where you're going to be very independent and you're going to work to help Chris build this organization. And then when you're super successful, you get to they do it. And that's where Chris is really running GoBundance. I'm certainly on the board and putting in my two cents. But Chris is driving that in my real estate company. Smokey Garrett is the partner that drives that. My partnerships with Aaron and Machistegi, Aaron drives that. Matt King drives a bunch of things for me. That's where it becomes they do it. And you're more like on the board of directors. And that gives you massive scalability. And as Daniel said, once you reach that point, you become addicted to finding talent. That's what you... So So as my life transformed and changed from doing everything, it boiled down to three things, finding talent, finding deals and creating a vision. So those are the three things that I became like, that's my dollar productive activity. That's where David Osborne gets the biggest bang, creating a vision that's big enough for people to fit into so that I can attract talent, finding opportunities for these talent, and then recruiting great talent. And, he, and today I'm trying to get out to where even my team does all of that. So as much of that as possible, but I did spend, I had an amazing coffee yesterday with a, a woman for two hours who's super talented, incredible. I'd love to have her in my world. And she, you know, she's at a job and she makes a half a million bucks a year. She's no nonsense. She's incredibly capable. So that's an example of the kind of talent I spend with now. Whereas when I was beginning, I'd spend, I remember spending hours with people that had never sold a single house because I needed them to join my company so I could hopefully pay the bills and break even. Yeah. So that's the evolution. I, they, I, we, they. Yeah, that was the, then once I planted the trees and one of the coaching I have again in Wealth Can't Wait is plant trees, manage orchards. And so like my single rental property was a tree. My first franchise was a tree. My distressed debt business was a tree. Like each GoBundance you could look at as a tree. Planting a tree is a lot of work. You got to dig a hole in the ground. You got to plant the seed. You got to cover it up with fertile soil. You got to make sure it gets just enough water, just enough sunlight to grow to where it can stand on its own. At any moment during the early growth of that tree, a storm can wipe it out. Like difficult times, a crash in the economy can wipe it out. A bad tenant can harm a property. But once it gets to a certain level of strength, you have a fruit bearing tree. And that's way easier to manage. Once you have that tree established, that income stream established, then you just manage the orchard. And when you get to a point where you're like me, where you have enough assets, so now I have a really big orchard. So the fruit that these orch- these trees bear enable me to discuss hiring a girl, a lady that's making 500,000 a year, right? So I'm able to have, so now it's way easier because I'm able to bring in really top talent to continue the, the income streams growing. 
And that's where your listeners are. They've had success on one or two trees they've planted, and that should be their number one thing. And by the way, you could just plant 20 trees and have an amazing life. You could have 20 single family homes, have them paid off and probably never work a day in your life again. You're not probably doing the, the private jet thing, but you're doing whatever you want to do. And probably in many ways that could be wiser because it's really complex to have a very big life. My life is extraordinarily, I can no longer run my life without a we. Yeah. So think about that for a minute. Yeah. I don't get that privacy back. I don't get that. <laughs> I don't get that. Oh, I'm just going to be me and my family thing anymore because it's too complicated. It'd be impo- There's too much going on. So yeah, so there's the, the planting the trees is the key. And then in answer to your, how did I get to eight or nine? I think the scariest part was 06 because we had such a run-up, really, and that was luck. And you'll hear me talk about luck, and some people hate the idea of luck, but I actually am a huge proponent of luck. And it's definitely true the harder you work, the luckier you get. And it's also true what Richard Branson said is when I asked him about it, he said, people say, I got lucky because I got out of the record business and into the airline business right when the record business went away. He said, and it's true, I did get lucky, but you have to put yourself in a position to get get lucky. And the thing I had was I joined real estate in 94, and that was right before a 12-year run-up. 12 years is a long time. Imagine if I'd started in 06 and then and put all this overhead in place and then had the big crash. It might have been very difficult for me to recover from that. On the other hand, you could make an argument that everyone that starts their business in, in a downturn does better because they're used to those lean, tough times. But anyway, so everything was going on. I probably crossed the eight-figure threshold somewhere like I was at 10 or 12 million right around 05, 06. But it was simply a factor of all these orchards I planted. And unlike a rental property, a market center has like this big binary outcome. If you blow it, you lose 150 grand. But if you mm-hmm. do it well, it makes you 150, 200, 300, 400,000 a year. And everything was booming then. And I was in Dallas, Texas, which was also lucky because it's a super hot market. Mm-hmm. And so all of these things probably pushed me over that. And then I probably went right back under it because I got crushed right there when the economy crashed. And that's when my fear was high and I was nervous again. And then I I did the same thing. I hustled down, I hunkered down, I made good decisions. I kept, I never quit buying, adding assets. And by then I had really good influences in my life. I had a really good tribe of people. I had a lot of wisdom around me. And then the economy, when it kind of came back up, um, then it's all destiny. Like when you say, I want to be a billionaire, when I first met Tim wrote in 04, I was like, my goal is to be a billionaire. And then I lost my dad and he died uh, in 08 of cancer. And I was like, I don't care if I'm a billionaire or not. Like I, be, I saw the end of life and what it looked like. I was like, I just want a joy-filled life. And that's when I had my baby, Bella. And that's when I got married to my wife shortly thereafter. And I was so ambitious before that. I was missing out on the juice. Like if I look at it now, I'm like, oh my God, being a dad is way better than any amount of money I've ever had. But again, it's easier with money than without. Without money... It would be hard. Like I can imagine like right now I get to go, Hey, let's play. Hey, nanny, take the kid. I'm tired of playing with my kid. Will you take the kid so I can go meditate or something? That's (laughs) what money does for you. And if you don't have that, you'd still be amazing. And it still is amazing. But I was a way worse dad with my first kid in many ways. And that's a whole other story, but we have a great relationship today, which is a lucky blessing. But if you go back to that, that died away. And then it was only recently where I just looked at what I've got planted. And I'm like, the odds are pretty high just on what I currently have that I'll hit a billion net worth. Now I may not. So I'm not really chasing it. I'm 
more observing now. Does that make sense? So I crossed over nine figures uh, a few years ago, and then it's just been crazy. Like it's been growing way faster than I would have thought it would. I'm a little nervous about the economy and all the rest of it. I just think it's interesting to be a billionaire, and it's interesting to see what that looks like. I know as a kid that was certainly a drive of mine, but it kind of went away, and then I saw what was possible, and I'm like, maybe Matt King can drive my organization to that level. Exactly. Okay. Greatly appreciate you sharing all of that. That was actually very, it's, it's one thing for information. And this is something I was talking about with Cushman. I was like, it's one thing for information to have information. It's another, it's a whole separate thing and a way more valuable thing to society to be able to have the articulation of information. Because a lot of people are so damn smart that they're unable to articulate things in a way that most people can understand. So I appreciate that. That's a skill that you have that is greatly appreciated. So as we wrap up on time here, there's only like two other topics I wanted to talk about, which would be like vision and goal setting or also longevity and health, which is like the whole David Sinclair thing, which I know is massive for you, especially after your dad's situation. I'll let you pick which one ever, everyone you want to talk about, because I want to be conscious of your time. So I'll, I'll, I'll fly through them both. Sure. So first off, the health thing. Until 06, I was working out because I believed in the energy of it. And I was trying to learn that habit. But I was probably three day a week or my dad got cancer. He dies. I buy But while he's fighting cancer, I buy all these books on nutrition, plant nutrition, healthier living, healthier eating. We were steak and potatoes and two bottles of red wine and a martini, guys. That's how my dad grew up. So we were Damn, definitely that's me. healthy. <laughs> it oh, was no. My wife and I were a date. We drink a book, you know, glass of wine, two glasses of wine every single night. We'd have a, we just, we were just partiers and it was fun and I enjoyed it. And it was a bit of a release too from all the work. But now I'm 30, what am I? Almost 40 when dad gets cancer and is dying. And I'm, I'm reading these books and I'm like, I couldn't get dad to do any of it, but I just started adopting it for my life. I bought a juicer. I started juicing and that really began the journey of taking that same super acquisitive information, acquisitive brain that I developed through business. Maybe I had it as a kid too, but it never went into schoolwork. I can tell you that, but it went into business. I'd had some success. So I took that same thing into health and that led to me going from 165 pounds down to 151 today. And uh, body fat down from probably back then, 22, 23% down to about 10% today. So I've, I've got a lot you of look work. great. I'm serious. But I work on it. So thank yeah. you. The amount of effort I put into it is high. And then using the inside tracker and all that. And then eventually hiring David Sinclair as my personal concierge doctor, which is what I've done this year. And I want that so I can live a long time for my kids, especially Luke's five. So I'm in my 50s. I'll be 20s, 20, I'll be in my 70s or right before there. I just want to be available to them if I can. I'm not egoic enough to think that I can control that. I could, uh, something could, a meteor could hit me coming out of the sky today, but I'm going to do my part to keep that game going. And then, do you have any um, books for that? Do you have any books that you would recommend that really stuck out to you that somebody can go read? I think Younger Next Year was one of my favorites. You know, I met that guy and hung out with him a little bit. He's funny. Uh, he's a character, but the Younger Next Year book, which, basically work out 45 minutes hard when you break your body down it rebuilds your body is always declining but if you mm. accelerate the breakdown then it rebuilds back intermittent fasting how not to die is a very fascinating book by gregor and what diets you should eat not to die there's probably a whole bunch of them i read a lot of books it's hard to cut through the fluff with a lot of them though because it's 
there's so this is such a sexy subject now that it's yeah. almost, it's almost overwhelming so you're like there's so many different angles to go on that it's like for me I'm 27 so it's for me I'm okay which avenue should I go down now because I am young I can have an even better impact I can try to keep this stuff from happening beforehand but I'm like which which damn thing do I follow <laughs> yeah I think inside tracker David Sinclair just launched a podcast yep I post that in the abundance page yeah. Oh yeah, you did because you posted it yesterday. I went and listened to the first one yesterday. It was awesome. It was very good. I already know a lot of it because I've talked to him. I think Inside Tracker is a good place to start too. That's the blood work thing. We should. There's just there's. It's a great time to be interested in it because there's so much. But ultimately, it's like this: eat less, eat more veggies, eat less meat. Although some guys will Damn argue, it. <laughs> and I love meat too. Uh, eat, drink less, sleep well exercise consistently and it's more i think aerobic it doesn't matter how intense it is it's just really aerobic matters you get your heart rate up that's the basics if you do that you're you're well ahead of it and then there's a lot out there people get really lost in the detail but i don't think uh, any of that matters you could make an argument some people love paleo but that doesn't fit me real good right now but paying attention to that too and then on the vision thing it's just everything to me is like knowing i can lead my life once i got discipline around goal setting and accountability with Pat and Tim, I can now lean my life in any direction. So if I wanted to learn Chinese, I could lean into learning Chinese. If I wanted to go live in, I don't know, Bhutan, or if I wanted to write another book, or I know how to lean my life with my accountability through my vision. And it's something very important to me that I spend a lot of time like thinking what I want the next year to look like, thinking what I want the next five years to look like. And my secrets to that is to always have a five-year vision. Mm-hmm. So always know like right now it's 2022. So I'd write in 2027, here's what my life looks like. And I write a letter to myself as if it were the present time. So I put it's 2027. The last five years have been amazing. I put my age, my wife's age, my kid's age. Bella's just moved out of the house. She's at a college that she loves. And all my businesses are killing it. Matt King's done amazingly well. I take my key people in my life and I discuss them. So that's the five-year vision. That's two or three pages. That just gives me a target. And I also have a 40 year vision or something or a 25 year vision somewhere as well. Occasionally yeah, that's much harder. I don't do that frequently, but I remember hearing once about this Japanese guy that had a 300 year plan for his fam, for his business. I'm like, wow, that's impressive. The way you got to think about this is the more you think about the future, the more you lay tracks down into that future and you can flow into it and see what happens. And that might be a beautiful way to go to for an artist or a rock and roller or a spiritual being. And I, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But as a business person, if you want to trade control of your future, you lay the tracks down and the tracks are that. The second track is your annual goals. And I set the annual goals in the eight gardens of life and the eight gardens of life, which I'm sure you're going to ask me are yes. uh, relationship, spiritual, physical, intellectual, lifestyle environment, which is tribe as well, personal financial and business goals. So that's the eight uh, simplified. And yeah, and then I just write them all down. And there's your, that's a very intense looking 80 goals that I set in all those different areas. And I have a whole page of businesses. There's about 50 or 60 right there, which is my personal goals. And then I probably have another, you know, 40 in my other side here. I'm just, I'm curious at throughout your process of doing all of this, it's I'll link Obviously, you have resources on setting goals and everything and 
how you go about that because you mentioned your 220 out of 240 workouts for the year, which breaks down to five per week. You do your annual goals and you break them down quarterly and then weekly and then break them down into daily habits. So it's the atomic habits method, correct? Yeah. And I, that I added a time and I'm constantly adding, I added atomic habits this year. I love that book. I wished I'd written that book. And so then I check, I take about 20 items out and I've got the check offs on all the stuff I do daily. I'm a massive fan on bringing my daily action into the long-term goals that I've set for myself. And by the way, I was a procrastinator. I was lazy. I was a C student. I never did my homework. I didn't really work out. And yet through this 20 plus years of setting goals, creating a vision for my life, that's been the thing for me that's taught me how to, and that's why I'm so addicted to it. My endorphins go crazy when I think about the goals I set and what do I want to track on a daily basis this year? Two years ago, I added meditation. Three years ago, I was meditating 10 times a year. Last year, I meditated. How's that one going? I know that one was rough for you. It was rough, but now I've got it. Like I'm doing really good at it. Yeah, I'm, I'm nailing it. So which, which kind did you find worked for you? Cause I know you were bouncing around. Yeah. For me, it's all the apps. I'm like, I'm that way. So I, I downloaded Calm. I loved for a while Awake, Wake, Waken or Awake with Sam Harris. And now I also got 10% happier. I have my Fitbit has a whole bunch of, I'm so crazy. I have an aura ring and a Fitbit and I cross-reference my sleep, my heart rate, my exercise. Like I'm, I'm just really into tracking data and I'm not a data geek and I'm definitely not a technocrat where I love, like I don't dive into all the features. I barely know what these things do, but they work for me in the areas that I like. What I like about the inside trackers, it gives you little health tips as you look into it. But yeah. yeah, I got all the meditation apps. And what I found is two things like, and I get, I make things work for me. So I bought a sauna a couple of years ago and I love doing the sauna and then the cold plunge now. And I thought cold water was my kryptonite before, but now after the sauna, I find it easy. Except this morning it was 53. That's pretty chilly. And and then I'll meditate in the sauna. But if my wife's in there, we have an agreement to put our phones down and just talk. So we talk and I'll also meditate in bed. Like it's a little cheating, but I'll, I wake up sometimes with insomnia. I just kick on a meditation app and I'll meditate myself back to sleep gotcha. with earbuds. So I don't disturb my wife. Yeah. I, I really probably have meditated. I, I set my goal next year for 200 meditations, which means I must've done at least 150 this year. I don't have my, this year, last year's journal with me, so I can't see it right now, but uh, yeah, it's really clicked in. And that's just a perfect example. Struggles, struggle. And by the way, the same is with true with vegetarian. I was struggling on that one, but I, I've figured that one out now. I've got a chef that brings me good food, like vegetarian food. I just heat it up and I eat it. And that's taken my vegetarian days up over 80 last year. And for years, I struggled with that one. So what I'll do is I'll set a goal of 50 yoga and then I fail. So I set it again the next year. I don't ever raise the bar, but the year I get over 50, I raise it to 75. The year I get over 75, I raise it to 100. And it might take me four or five years to integrate a new habit in my life. But now I'm addicted to the meditation. It's like I crave it because it helps me to see all the anxieties and fears as just, or aggressions or happinesses or whatever. They're just like clouds that go across the stillness of my consciousness. Does that make sense? And I'm over, I'm not like a guru all of a sudden, I'm not Yoda, but I now see it more clearly and it makes it easier for me to let go. And the more you let go, really the whole journey of life for me for wealth has been letting go of what doesn't work so that I could allow room for the new stuff to work, not doubling down on stupid. And I've definitely doubled down on stupid at times, but letting go and letting growth to me, that's the essence. And that's the biggest spiritual belief I have is that 
and I'm not going to get too religious on you, but the God wants you to be blessed. And I'm not a very religious person, but say the great spirit wants you to be blessed. God wants you to be blessed. And you just got to get out of your own way. Your ego is what will block that success because it tries to hold on to stuff. Mm. And if you just let it flow through you. It'll come if you're patient and open and receptive and, and, and get in harmony with the abundance of life. I completely agree with that. When do you know when it's time to scrap a goal? Because I'll give you, I'll give you an example of this because it's something that's important, but I thought it was important, but for some reason I'm just not doing the shit. So my girlfriend's from Brazil. She's, she speaks uh, Spanish, English, Portuguese. Her family speaks Portuguese. Her dad speaks some English, her mom, not so much. So I'm like, I need to learn Portuguese. That's something I need to learn to be able to communicate fully with her family. And so last year I'm doing all this, all these goals, all this different business goals, all these health goals, all these fitness goals. I'm overwhelmed with all the goals that I got going on. And my Portuguese is one of the goals. I didn't do it. And so at what point do you figure out, Hey, I've got too much stuff on my plate or, Hey, I'm just being a lazy piece of shit here. So I try to hit, I try to hit, if you set 60 goals and you hit 50% of it, you're crushing life. So 30 goals Ah. a year, most people don't even think about that. And, and so just keep that in mind. When I was nailing it and growing, I was probably hitting 50 to 60% of my goals. Today, I'm up to That's 85%. <laughs> but what I do is I just re- want my favorite goal is to review my goals 50 times. That was my, that was a game changer for me. I came up with that about 10 or 12 years ago. And suddenly I was looking at it and I was putting my Roman numerals, which gives me a little endorphin hit. So I'm reviewing them more frequently and I'm putting it in my consciousness. So more stuff started happening. I upped it to a hundred, but a hundred is a little too many this year. I backed it down to 80 because like you start doing it without really paying attention to it. So 80 times to review my goals. And when I'm looking at something, Brian, and it's not happening and it's on my goal sheet and I feel I'm like checking in on my whole body. Yes. For this. And a lot of times it's still yes. But at some point I'm like, you know, I'm really not like I was learning guitar with my daughter and we were into it and I was excited about it. I talked about it on podcasts. Yeah. She lost interest. She backed away. So when she did that, I, I tried to keep it going for a little. I was like, she's not a whole body. Yes. I'm not a whole body. Yes. I'm just taking guitar off for now. I'm not saying it's dead, but it's just not on there for now. And so I would take Portuguese off for now. You just sit with it. You look at it. Is this really going to, and then if you, the more you carve out of your life, the inert dead things, and the more you put life into the ones where you're feeling a whole body. Yes. Now some of that, like, I don't always have a whole body. Yes. To hop on my Peloton when I'm tired. That's a different thing. That's just like maintenance of the car. But I'm talking about the driven, spiritual, transformative goal. If you're not a whole body, yes, after six months into the year, I would just cross it out or leave it on and and deal with a little bit of a pain of failure and try it again next year because I'm still failing 50% of the time. So I'm really in tune with that is I really just ask myself, is this something you want to do or is this something you think you want to do? There's a big difference. Like... My brain might think a lot of things. How cool would it be to talk to my dad in Portuguese when I'm married? But the reality is, oh, do I really want to do that? Or just, is there some other place I want to go? And then I'll take it off for a year. And if it's still rattling around in my brain, I'll probably try to find something more extreme. I've been thinking of really getting better at Spanish. My son's fluent. My wife and I don't speak it. I speak it some. And then my daughter had it for a while, but it's gone. That's Bella. So if I've thought about just doing an immersion, I might take our entire family to a, one of those. I did German in, in two months. I did a two-month immersion at the Goethe Institute in Germany, and I got a pretty decent amount of German. Like I can fumble around in German now. So go to a Portuguese immersion. 
But one thing that gives you the luxury of doing all that is wealth. So I have all your goals at age 20, whatever you are, six, I think you said. Seven now. Yeah. Yeah. The wealth, man. That's the thing that every day that you don't plant those trees, they don't, they're, they're one day further away from bearing fruit. Does that make sense? So if you had a choice between learning Portuguese or finding two more rentals, unless you were just tickled pink in your heart of hearts about learning Portuguese, I'd go figure out how to get those two rental properties. That makes me feel a little bit better. <laughs> Not going to lie. Well, I'm yeah. telling you, man, it is all about feeling good. It's all about aligning. You're carving your statue, the statue of David out of a block of granite, or in your case, it's statue of Brian. And if there's something dead and you just keep it there, like the Portuguese, it's just like a weird piece of dead stone on this overall statue. You go where the flow is. You got to have some discipline. You got to, there is I got to make myself do stuff, especially around making money, like making calls and things like that, or the workouts. But the bigger picture is when you find your inner alignment with your goals, it's easier to pay that price of making your calls when you don't want to. And that's the piece you got to pay attention to. Yeah. I love that. Let's go ahead. I'll I'll finish with one last question. Okay. If you, I I know you said your story about your dad and I want to, we started this in a deep, place. I want to end it on a deep place. You said your story about your dad. As we finish this up, if your dad was here today, what is something that you would say to him if he was seeing what you're doing right now today? I would just like to get one more hug. Honestly, he would be super crazy proud of my life and my lifestyle right now. He he was uh, the colonel and he enjoyed being the colonel and he enjoyed the, the he enjoyed the wearing a suit, looking good and if he were here, I'd just, I'd just appreciate one more hug. The way his voice sounded, the way it resonated, the way he smelled, the energy he brought to the room. I don't know that I got anything to say to him. We said it all when he was dying. It took him three years to die, but I just let him know how grateful I am that he was my dad. Very beautifully put. And with that, I think that's a perfect place to end. I appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks, Brian. Good talking with you, brother. Thank you, sir. On to the day. See you soon, man. (laughs) See you, buddy. You've been listening to the Action Academy podcast, helping you to choose what you want with who you want when you want. You've been given the gift of freedom. Don't turn your back on that. We hope you've enjoyed the show. And we hope you've gotten some practical and useful information. Make sure to like, rate, and review the show. We'll be back soon. But in the meantime, hook up with us on social media. Remember, financial independence is freedom. The flags of freedom fly. Hey, real quick. If you're still listening to today's episode, I'm assuming you got value from it. So I need your help specifically. My two-year vision with this show is to help over 1 million people do what they want, when they want, with who they want. And I can only do that with your help. There are two main ways that a podcast grows. One is through ratings and reviews, and the other is word of mouth. If you could please leave me a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, as well as send this to one or two friends that you think would get value from it, we can reach the people that we're looking to reach. Thanks in advance. Talk tomorrow.